The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, the heart is hungry, and it longs to be fed. When it's been forced through a negative, hostile, or abusive upbringing to live in a state of perpetual starvation, it'll eat tree bark, crickets, or dirt. Many, far too many of us are living in relationships fed that feed us thusly. The very best we can get in these relationships is the crumb under the table, which we treat as a king's feast. We'll hang on to the memory of those crumbs as if they were a breath itself. We stay in those relationships because of those crumbs and because we have no idea that it is actually possible to have something better. And if we happen to be single and starving, we will often jump into any relationship at all just to tell ourselves that we're no longer hungry. All the while, we're still starving. So today we need to talk about this. It is so common in our society and it's a terrible cycle to be on. How do we get into an authentic relationship with the self and a significant other? Stay here today. You're not going to want to miss this. This problem is so rampant in our world today that uh, we don't even know the numbers. Uh, we, it's immeasurable. It's, a, it's so common for us to have put the heart aside and just said, well, you know, whatever it is that you need, well, that's just going to have to be secondary or even tertiary uh, because we don't have time for you. We've got to be surviving. We've got to be about the business of getting a living or getting a reputation or putting up an image or um, making sure that other people think of us in a certain way. We've got to be about that. Forget about the heart. You know, just put it aside. And we don't even know we're doing that, but that is, in fact, what we're doing. We want to be in, in wonderful, deep, committed relationships, and yet we find ourselves over and over and over again in relationships that don't feed us, that aren't committed, that have nothing to do with uh, relationship skills, and that are even downright abusive to us, emotionally, physically, sexually, uh, mentally, in all of those ways, in any and all of those ways. So what, what is it that we're doing when we're doing that? Well, what we're doing is not noticing. So, for example, I've treated couples where one one member of uh, one member of the dual the dyad is uh, is not paying attention much to her, his, or her heart. They're um, they're not noticing that the heart feels certain things. They're not noticing when they get hurt. They're not noticing when they have hurt feelings. They're not noticing when. Um, when things don't meet their needs, they're not noticing. They're paying no attention. Uh, 
until one day somebody drops proverbial straw and they're off on another relationship looking for the heart to be fed finally. And very often this isn't done through leaving one partner to have another. It's done through cheating. So I've got one foot in one relationship and one foot in the other. Why do people cheat? They don't cheat because they're awful people. They cheat because they want one foot in one relationship and one foot in the other. And they want that because they don't want to leave one thing before they're sure of the other thing. And that's how that happens. Um, you know, if, you've, if you're with somebody who's uh, cheating by uh, having multiple partners, well, that's a whole other thing. That could be anything from a sex addiction to uh, commitment phobia to uh, downright uh, personality disorder of some sort. But, but if, it's, if a person jumps from one relationship into another, it's because they're not feeding their heart. They, the person, if I'm Bob and I'm cheating, I have probably not been feeding my own heart. Okay, but the reason we don't feed our own heart is because we think that the other person is supposed to do that for us. We think that they are supposed to just know what we need and give it to us magically. Now, once upon a time, that happened. If we had good parents, it happened that we didn't have to say anything to anybody and somebody just knew what we needed. And that was our mother. We'd wake up crying and she would come feed us. We would... um, indicate through the, uh, our facial expressions that we didn't want to be fed any more food and she stopped feeding us. That was a communication where we actually got heard without ever having to speak. But once we're an adult, it doesn't work that way anymore. We have to speak. We have to say what we need. We have to ask. We have to turn our, our um, problem areas into requests. And that is commonly one of the things that I do as a therapist when I'm working with couples is I will ask one couple to, can you, you've just told me all about how you feel. Can you turn that into a request? That's a challenge for most of us because we're, we're used to pointing the finger and saying, you're not, you're not, you are, you are. But we're not so used to saying, I need X, Y, and Z. That's much more vulnerable. And, and we are ashamed of our vulnerability for the most part. Brene Brown has done some significant studies on shame and what it means to us, how we operate out of it. And we generally live in a shame-based society. I would definitely refer you to Brene Brown's work for any uh, questions you have about shame because she's, uh, she's the premier expert on that area. And I, and I agree with just about everything she says. Not everything quite, but just about everything she says on that. And, and the idea is that we are, we've been taught that if we reveal our soft underbelly to anyone, then they're going to make fun of us. They're going to use that against us. They're going to um, tell us that we're weak or tell us that we're silly or tell us that we're oversensitive. Because, in fact, that is what has happened to us. We've been told that, you know, if, we're, if we get our feelings hurt and we say, wow, that really hurt my feelings, that somebody's going to say back to us, you're just oversensitive. And what they really mean, generally speaking, not perhaps always, but generally speaking, what they mean when they say you're just oversensitive is you should not be noticing your heart. You should not be noticing that I've just stomped all over everything you hold valuable. Don't look at that man behind the curtain. 
So anytime we hear you're just too sensitive, we might want to question the sender of that message and say, you know, you know, maybe I'm not too sensitive. Maybe you've just stepped on my feelings and you don't want to admit that. Uh, so so in, in terms of what the heart actually needs, what it needs is honesty. It needs a partner who's willing to be vulnerable with us as well. A partner who will take our vulnerability and hold it sacred. Not shame it, not belittle it, not tell it to go away, but hold it sacred. And, and someone we can share life with, who we can team with uh, against the things we are uh, working against in our own lives and for the things that we are working for in our own lives. And by that, I don't mean they have to be in the same political causes we're in. I mean that if I've got an issue with, say, lack of trust then my partner is going to know that because I'm going to have told them and they are going to respect that lack of trust and not insist that I trust them anyway and not demand that if, they, if I love them, I will trust them and they will just slowly assist me in building trust in them by earning my trust. So um, that's a that's a partnership. That's a team. We are both working together on the same issue, and the same in reverse for my partner. If he or she has got an issue, then I'm going to hold that issue sacred, and I'm going to facilitate their awareness when it's important that I do that. I might just hold up a mirror and say, "Did you see what you just did?" And that's a way of me facilitating their greater awareness. That doesn't mean I'm blaming them or pointing the finger or, or saying I reject you because you uh, have done this, but rather, can you see what you've just done? And as I do that, they have the potential to grow. So that, again, is a partnership. And it's, and it's, it's our awareness, my individual awareness of my own inner world that facilitates the uh, attainment of a relationship with someone else who is equally aware of his or her own inner world. And without that kind of awareness, we are going to step all over each other. There's just no way around it. The most fascinating thing and the most healing thing about relationships is this. Uh, We are somehow drawn into the relationships that will bring us to our knees with regard to our most difficult issues. Now, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, does it? (laughs) No, it doesn't, but it is true. They will also bring us, they can also, they have the capacity to bring us to our greatest joy, our greatest peace, our greatest sexual satisfaction. They also have that, but they, they, also have the potential to bring us to our knees when it comes to our own most difficult issues. Why? Because nobody can trigger us like our most intimate partners and our children. Nobody can can get in there to that soft underbelly faster than those people with whom we've been the most intimate. And so they will either harm us more or they will facilitate our greatest, greater awareness so that we can grow and maybe even heal those issues. So uh, in, in, in seeking out a relationship, that's generally speaking what we're looking for, all of us on some kind of baseline, are looking for uh, a relationship with someone who can bear us as we bear ourselves. Uh, and by that I mean uh, a sort of uh, twofold meaning, bear us, in other words, 
let, allow us to be naked, vulnerable in front of them, but also bear us in the sense that they're going to hold that sacred. They're not going to uh, belittle it or uh, tell it to go away or reject us for having it. Um, so that's the that's the business of relationships. Um, they have that great potential to heal some of our old issues, our own woundedness, if we can allow that kind of vulnerability in our relationships. Typically we don't, however. Typically what we do is we go into relationships with this idea that now that I've met you and you're so cute and all and you're great in bed, well, now that I've met you, everything's going to be fine and you're just going to meet all my needs and I'm never going to have to say another word about that and anytime I want a dozen roses, you'll just know and you'll bring them to me. And every time I want you to clean the kitchen up after you've eaten, well, you'll just know and you'll just do that. And then when we're shocked and dismayed and uh, triggered when they don't. When they don't do what we had in our minds they were going to do without us ever telling them what was in our minds. So um, this whole thing about relationship and the heart being hungry is huge. Because we typically don't think that we should have a hungry heart. We think that the heart should just go along with us and our schemes to skip over it. We think that we're supposed to not really um, have much of a heart. We're, you know, we're supposed to love somebody else and we're supposed to give to them, but we're not supposed to do it in such a fashion that we become vulnerable to it. And that's a big mistake because it's our vulnerability out of which we create our intimacy. So if I can tell you what's really going on inside of me, I'm much more likely to be able to, to, to work past that, work through that, than I am if I can't. And I deepen the relationship to the degree that we can share that intimacy. And that kind of thing builds a fortress around a relationship that nothing can break, nothing inside and nothing outside. It's that kind of vulnerability that creates a relationship's greatest strength. So, uh, but in relationships, what we've been taught by watching others is that when, a, when we have a relationship, we're, we're supposed to sort of walk into it with expectations about how the other person is supposed to treat us and or expectations about how we're supposed to treat that other person. And all of that has to do with behavior. Not much of it has to do with revelation of our own vulnerability. So we walk into a relationship and we say, okay, now I'm going to be happy and we're going to have great sex and we're going to have a lot of fun and it's going to be great. And, um, but we don't tell the person if they've hurt our feelings. We just we, we try to be there for them or we try to ignore our own feelings. And so what happens is we get further and further away from ourselves in the relationship and therefore the, our partner is also further and further away from us. And then we wonder how that happened. How did they get so distant? How did this wall get here? The wall got here when I started saying, I don't want to know what I'm feeling. I send myself far away from me. And then I wonder why my partner's far away from me too. What if I can't relay who I am to my partner or what I'm feeling to my partner? They're not going to know. So we, it, there's a lot of magical thinking there. But the biggest, I guess the thing that I want to convey most in this, in, in this uh, show today is the idea that the heart is, its loneliness and its hunger is essential 
to our well-being. It is not something we should be ashamed of. It is not something that we should put away. It's not something that we should say, oh, that's too sensitive. It is not something that we should ignore in the name of being there, quote-unquote, for other people. Our own hearts must be fed. And if they are not fed, then we will eat tree bark. We will eat crickets. We will eat dirt. We will eat dog poop if we have to, to make ourselves feel like we're feeding our hearts. But it's still dog poop, and it's still dirt, and it's still crickets, and it's still bark. It doesn't change the the actual thing we're eating if we pretend that it isn't what it is. So, so let me give you an example, uh, and we'll tell a story about this when we come back in the next uh, after the break Um, we have just a few more minutes before the break but in the when when we have a a relationship where if i'm the person who uh, i'm in the relationship i'm trying very hard to make it work the other person is not so uh, as invested as i am though they come home every night they don't cheat on me but they don't really um offer much conversation they don't really offer much in terms of of giftedness they don't they forget my birthday they forget our anniversary they forget our christmas presents they um don't um allow me to talk about how i feel without criticizing me for feeling it um a lot of times when i reveal something that's of a concern to me they tell me to just get over it um this is an example of what I'm talking about. I'm in a relationship with someone with whom the best I'm ever going to get is the crumbs under the table. And those crumbs are going to mean so much more to me because I'm so hungry that when somebody gives me one little crumb, I'm like, oh, yes, this is a feast. This feels like, you know, the best steak I ever ate. And I'm going to hang into that relationship because I've just been fed some breadcrumbs. And today... I feel really happy that I got some breadcrumbs under the table. But that is all I'm going to get. And I stay in the illusion that everything's going to be okay because I got some breadcrumbs today. And that's, that's great. Isn't that great? I got some breadcrumbs. So often I have clients who come in to see me and they say, well, you know, of course, yes, he beat me up. You know, that happened a couple of weeks ago. But he's also so loving. When it's good, it's really good. Right, but when it's bad, it's awful, and it's awful for uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, or some other way. It's awful. So we think that that's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to sort of balance that out and go, "Oh, okay. Well, I can take a little awful with my good." No, <laughs> it's not how it's supposed to be. We don't have to take the awful. We don't have to eat the poison apple to uh, uh, just because we're sitting under the tree. We, we can say, no, this is not acceptable to me. I don't accept this behavior, and it must change, or I must do something to take care of myself in some other way. We can do that, and we don't do that because we're so enamored with the crumbs. So that's, a, that's just a small example of what I'm talking about when we talk about this whole thing of lonely, the heart being a lonely hunter. The whole thing of cheating as society-wide, which is just rampant, it's epidemic, um, the whole thing of cheating comes from this idea of ignoring the loneliness and the hunger and the longing of a human heart that longs to belong 
and be fed emotionally and be uh, uh, noticed and um, honored, that, that ig- ignoring all of that means that at some point, somebody in that relationship is very likely to take on another partner. So we're going to talk about this some more right after the break. You, uh, you want to stay tuned. We're going to talk specifically about examples of how this works and doesn't work. And we're going to talk a little, a little bit about how you can build a, a relationship that really does feed the lonely, hungry heart. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you considered yoga to promote balance in your life? Join host and senior Bikram yoga instructor Jim Callick for Yoga is Life Radio. On this show, we will show you that yoga is for anyone and everyone. Just as air, water, and life is for everyone, so is yoga for everyone. Yoga is totality, equilibrium, union, balance. Yoga is life. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. There are no limits to what you can do. Start a new direction in your life today. Your path to wellness includes a body, mind, and spirit connection. Listen for Guidance from Above. You are not alone. Featuring your host, Joe Homar. Explore unknown parts of you. Access a vast array of possibilities that await you. Expand your energy field. Keep an open mind. Tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The answers you are seeking are within... The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. You're listening to The Authentic Living Show, and this is Andrea Matthews. You know, the show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology, and AIHT is a school that offers a great variety of programs and in-depth studies and courses, the courses that you select uh, in the program you design. You already know that you can get a master's, a doctorate, or a ministerial bachelor's degree at AIHT, 
But the doctoral degree is divided up into three parts, so that in the theology program you can get a doctorate, a doctor of philosophy in holistic theology, a doctor of theology in holistic theology, or a doctor of ministry in holistic theology. And you can get a PhD or a doctor of ministry in any of the other programs as well. And the other programs consist of holistic health, holistic ministries, metaphysics, and parapsychology. So now you can get a degree, a bachelor's degree, a ministerial bachelor's degree, a master's degree, or a doctoral degree in one of five different holistic programs. The options there allow you to study at your own pace, in your own time, in your own home, without having to meet with an internet group um, at a specific time every Wednesday or every Thursday. And it allows you in-depth studies of each one of the courses. For example, in Judaism, if you take Judaism and holistic theology, you can take Judaism 1, Judaism 2, and Judaism 3 as you go up through the ministerial bachelor's and then the master's program and the doctoral degree. The same thing is true in parapsychology, where you can take psychic skills one, two, or three. And those are just a few of the examples. If you want to get the whole picture, go to www.aiht.edu, or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. What's most important to AIHT is its model of, ex- uh, of exploration that allows you not only to find your deepest, most profound, and essential authenticity with regard to who you are, but also your deepest, most profound authenticity as a spiritual being. And not only that, but to be able to study things from the perspective of a a service-oriented perspective so that you're thinking not only in terms of what you gain from the program for your own spiritual growth, but also how you can utilize that to serve others. And so we we go to the spiritual experts from all over the world to – we use their books to write the courses so that a person can really become involved in the work itself. Some of the work is experiential. You'll be asked to do experiential programs that allow you to um, investigate uh, herbs or uh, essential oils or um, a meditational uh, technique, things like that, that you might really gain something for your own personal life in, but you can also then pass that on to others as you work with and heal others in your life, uh, in your service-oriented employment. So again, if you want to know more about the program, go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. We're talking today about the lonely hunter that is the heart. Why do I say it's a lonely hunter? Well, it's a lonely hunter because it is seeking always who it can love and who it can be loved by. Why does it do that? Because it loves. That's what the heart does. The heart loves. The heart loves life. The heart loves breathing in and out. The heart loves the body. The heart loves um, being in this world. The heart loves everything it sees in this world. And the heart loves the people it makes contact with. How do I know this? Because every emotion ultimately falls down to love. Now, how in the world can I possibly mean that? 
How could anger fall down to love? Well, here's how it can. If I'm angry at you because you, I feel uncared for by you, like, for example, I've, I've injured myself in some kind of a way. I've out, been out mowing the grass, and I come back in, and I've cut my finger really pretty badly, and I'm thinking, you know, I've got to do something about this, and you're acting like you're mad at me because I can't be there for the kids uh, while, because I've injured my, uh, my finger, and I was, you know, you were planning on going out and leaving the kids with me today. Well, I feel pretty uncared for. And I'm pretty angry at you for that. And so I might vocalize that and say uh, something to the effect of, how can you be so selfish or whatever? I might make it into an accusation. Well, okay, that's ineffective. It's not effective for me to just tell you you're selfish. I'm not getting across my message. What would be more effective is to say what I really feel, which is I'm feeling like you don't really care much about me right now. And then what I can do is uh, uh, own that feeling. What I have done is own that feeling. And then my partner is left to say, well, okay, what, you know, now how do I respond to that? How do I respond to the fact that you feel uncared for? Well, maybe if I just own the fact that really right now I care more about myself and my needs to get out of the house and get away from the kids than I do about your finger. (laughs) You know, maybe we'd have that discussion. Okay, so now we both feel like we got something to do here. What are we going to do as a team to figure this out in a way that makes both of us feel honored and uh, loved? Um, But here's what happened with my anger. My anger said to me, I love me enough to speak up to you about what's just happened here. And so my anger is a form of self-love. Now, that is not how we typically think of it. We don't, we typically think in terms that anger is bad, fear is bad, um, and, uh, what we call selfishness is bad. It means anything, anytime you're thinking about your own needs, you're being selfish. Uh, those, those are the things that are bad, and we just want to push that away and just make it not be there. But, of course, we don't. We only forget about it momentarily, and it comes back up later in some fashion that we can't even understand it because it's been sitting down in there festering for a while, and then, boom, there it is. So we, we don't handle anger correctly. But that doesn't mean anger isn't a form of love. We don't handle fear correctly either. We think that fear means that you actually are going to do something. So I'm afraid that you're going to leave me if I tell you X, Y, and Z, how much I need you or how you know, I'm trying really hard not to act quote-unquote needy. So therefore, I want to make sure that I just sort of back off whenever I feel that neediness coming up. So you're not going to ever know that about me because I'm afraid if you know how needy I actually feel, you're not going to want to be around me. So I just kind of hide it from you. And so that's, that's my response to fear. That's an inappropriate response to fear. Fear is not meant to dictate our actions unless we're standing in the middle of the street and a Mack truck is coming. Fear is meant to say, oh, I have that fear. Okay, that's, that's big and it's important for me to notice and, and, and address and take care of. Fear is a part of my vulnerability. It's like a little child inside of me who needs me to comfort it. It's not meant for me to, to obey it at all times and all places. But when we give in to our fear and say, well, I'll just keep hiding that from you, then what we're doing is we're saying, fear is uh, how I rule my life. And therefore, you will not really ever know me. And therefore, we will not be as intimate as we could be. And therefore, you are more likely to leave. So we fulfill our own fears. 
So those are inappropriate ways of responding. But my fear is a form of self-love. It's a way of saying, I love you. I want you to be okay. So therefore, I'm afraid this person's not going to love me if I tell them this. And sometimes our fear is a flash of intuition. Sometimes our fear is telling us that, yes, in fact, if you get vulnerable with this person, they're not going to want to be around it and they're going to leave. And that may happen because they really, you really have chosen somebody who can't be around vulnerability. That could happen. But again, that's you loving you. Your fear is you loving you. It isn't a sign that, you've, uh, that you're weak or too sensitive or silly. It is you loving you. And when we send it away, guess what? We're not loving us. And when we feel unloved by ourselves, then we start demanding more of it from other people. And ergo, we feel needy. So you see how this whole cycle begins to make sense when we think of it in these terms. That heart, though, is the one that's producing these emotions. And there, it's by doing that, it's saying, I love you. Here's how, what you can do to take care of yourself. I love you. Here, do this to take care of yourself. I love you. Here, let's, let's wrap you up in my love and let's make you okay. That's what the heart is always doing for us if we listen. But again, we've been taught not to listen. We've been taught to ignore that in favor of serving other people or pleasing other people or, or not being vulnerable to other people or being ashamed of our own feelings. All of those things say don't notice your own heart and then what happens is we end up doing things that are inappropriate and ineffective to get us what we need and then we're starving so let's talk about this case i told you that we would talk about a case where somebody might be growing up in a home where they've been forced to deal with negative hostile remarks uh, emotionally abusive remarks, and by emotional abuse, I mean somebody knows that something bothers you, but they they do it anyway, just deliberately to bother you. Um, uh, or mentally abusive, somebody's trying to confuse you or confound you. They're trying to say, "Don't look at that man behind the curtain," uh, while they know that there really is a man behind the curtain, and it's them, and they're they're the ones running the the wheels and the lights and whistles and all of that. So um, that's mental abuse. And, and um, when, when somebody is hitting us in any form, whether it's pinching, hitting, pushing, um, kicking, uh, any kind of physical aggressiveness is a form of abuse. Now, you could say, well, they just pushed me. Well, that's okay. It, it was just a push. It was all right. No, that was a form of physical abuse. And if you stop it early, then perhaps it won't grow. And by you, I don't mean the, the victim, I mean the perpetrator. If the perpetrator can to get to a place where they understand what it is that makes them get into such a rageful place that they, uh, that they hurt somebody else physically, then, then they can take responsibility for those triggers and begin to deal with them without hurting anyone physically. And typically that's because they've put their own heart on the shelf and then you know it builds and builds and builds and builds to the point of explosion and then they explode and somebody gets hurt. So again, the heart as a lonely hunter is informing us, here's what's going on. We, you need to go ahead and pay attention to it now. Don't wait till it gets to the point of rage. So, you know, so okay, so a child grows up in this home where he or she is being abused physically, mentally, emotionally, and or spiritually. And 
um, they they learn to accept the unacceptable and uh, pretend away all kinds of things. So by accepting the unacceptable, what I mean is it's unacceptable for a child to be abused. It's unacceptable for a child to go hungry. It's a chi- unacceptable for a child to live in, in um, bacteria-infested environments. It's unacceptable for a child to... Um, to be uh, told over and over again he or she is worthless or no good or not ever going to be anything. These are, are, it's unacceptable for a child to be hit, period. Um, and so if these things are happening to the child, the child is learning over and over again and being reinforced in that learning to believe that it's okay when people hit, hurt, or abuse. And so they grow up expecting that that's what's supposed to happen. And when they get involved with people, it's typically typically going to be people who treat them similarly in some kind of way. And they will ultimately be uh, put back in the same situation in which they're familiar. Why? Because the psyche is drawn to people that remind us of our old unresolved issues. They don't necessarily, people say, well, he married his mother or he married his father. What they really mean is they married the unresolved issue about the mother or about the father. And so whatever's unresolved will come up again. Why does the psyche draw us to that? Because the psyche is always leaning toward wholeness. And the psyche wants us to resolve whatever is unresolved. And the only way to do that is to have to face it again and deal with it this time in a way that's much more effective for us. And sometimes all we get, if I get myself in another abusive relationship, sometimes all I get from that is that, oh, that's really abuse. I don't really have to tolerate that. That's, I have learned that it's okay to be abused, but it's not really okay. Sometimes that's all we get. And that's great. That's big. That's huge. Um, and, and so we can walk away from that going, okay, I got something out of that. And then the next person we get involved with won't be doing that. They may be doing something else, but they won't be doing that. And, and so then what we're talking about is a process of evolution that comes about as a result of being attracted to people who, we can, um, who will help be our teachers. Now, they're not literally our teacher because if somebody is playing the teacher role in a relationship with you, they're probably not being vulnerable to you. And they're probably not letting you be vulnerable to them. But, uh, but I am saying that the process itself does teach us. So if I'm in that kind of home and I grow up and, and I get involved in that kind of relationship rather than, and then I get out of it and I've learned something about that, about, oh, this is not okay to let myself be abused, then rather than looking back at myself and say, why did I get in that relationship? That was so stupid. I can look at it and say, okay, I had to face that again. And now I have, and now I've put it where it belongs. I put abuse in the past. It does not have to be in my present anymore. So that's an example of how it is that we can use uh, even what might, might be considered by other people to be a big mistake. We can use that as an opportunity for our growth. But what happened in that process was while I was being accepting abuse as a sort of familiarity in my life, what I was also doing was putting my heart on the shelf. I was putting my lonely, hungry heart on the shelf. And uh, and I was telling it to, hush, be quiet. Don't tell me about you. I don't want to know about you. I've got to be with people, and these are the people that I'm with. And so I'm just going to have to learn to accept what they offer. 
And of course, when we're little, that's pretty much all our, our only option. But as we grow up, that's not our only option anymore. We just don't know that. And so opening our eyes to the myriad of options that are always available to us with regard to any relationship is a big, big, big deal. There's always another option. Um, I very frequently encounter people who say, well, I've either got to do this or this. And I go, "Mm, there's probably a third option, maybe even a fourth, because there is. Um, So we're going to take another break now. and We're going to come back and talk some more about how it is that we can develop the capacity to feed our lonely, hungry hearts. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Being outside the box is your thrival guide to living outside this reality. Are you always waiting for your ship to come in? Do problems happen to you? What if you created your life rather than sitting by waiting? Do you live in the fantasies of this reality? Winning the lottery? Waiting for your prince, princess to come? Even being healthy? Do you always do what is expected of you rather than choosing for you? What if the rules didn't apply? And what if you could thrive from a different space? Join host Lynn Waldrop for Tools to Being Outside the Box. Listen Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on 7th Wave. Much can be learned from the new children who embody a higher vibration and consciousness. However, the world we live in has not always been understanding of the gifts, differences, and awarenesses that they contribute. Listen for Journey with the New Children, Teens, and Adults, presented by Saturn Three Light Flyers. Each week, hosts Michael and Janice Bordway, along with their son and frequent guest host Tristan Bordway, share the discoveries of parenting and being one of the new children. It's an amazing journey. Join us Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. On the program Inside Out, our outsides match our insides. Join host Beth Green along with co-host James Maynard for an insightful weekly journey that lets us all be real with no boundaries. We'll discuss current events, interview amazing guests, challenge old ideas, and see ourselves and our world more clearly. It's about you as much as us. So you're invited to call in, write in, and most of all, tune in. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back. And I said during this uh, section we would talk about how it was that we could begin to how it is that we can begin to uh, feed our lonely, uh, hungry hearts. And um, what we first have to understand is that the heart really is hungry. 
it wants to be fed and um, and it doesn't want to be fed by the external first it wants to be fed by the internal first in other words we have to meet our own hearts we have to learn to love and accept our own hearts and that is the biggest problem we have believed the world so much that we don't believe that our hearts are really worthy of being heard they're too sensitive they're too silly they're too, they're too needy they they want things that uh, we shouldn't want they're too vulnerable it's too scary if I open myself to my heart I might get depressed I might feel really really angry I've been holding back on this anger for centuries and I might begin to feel that stuff and I really don't want to have to feel that um, yes all of those reasons are the reasons we don't want to get in touch with our hearts and yet you know, people say, you follow your heart all the time, don't they? Well, I think that we should definitely follow our hearts, but I think we should take our heads with us. <laughs> I don't think we should just follow our hearts. Um, I do think, like I said a little while ago, if I follow my heart that tells me I'm afraid of being vulnerable, then that's a kind of fear. And yes, it comes from my emotional center, which is my heart, but it does. But it's if I respond to it as if it is a ruler and should be believed and obeyed, then I have chosen badly. I have, I have decided that I'm going to obey instead of just hearing my heart. So the first thing is to be able to hear your heart. And one of the best and most effective ways that I know of to begin to hear your heart is to meditate. To let emotions just come up and look at them and just be able to say, oh... There that is. That's really there inside of me. I see that. And just own it. Just be able to see it without judgment, without recrimination, without backing away from it. Just be able to see it and feel it. Oh, yes, I'm really, really angry because of X, Y, and Z. Oh, yes, there's that feeling. Um, and not to be able to get let it swallow you whole, but just go, oh, okay, I see you. I see you. I hear you. You're there. You're big. And you want to be heard. I hear you. One of the most important things about therapy is that we get heard by another person. We, we go in, we talk about what's going on with us, and we get heard. Yes, we get some tools that we can use that will help us to uh, facilitate a greater awareness of who we are. And definitely as a therapist, I hope that I provide those tools. But, but I think the biggest thing when I've been in therapy, one of the biggest things I get out of it is somebody's listening. Somebody's just listening, and that's what our hearts want, is just to be heard. I get, I get heard, I get uh, understood a little bit better. So the first thing, now, now that's the first thing, is to hear the heart. The second thing is to have empathy for the heart. To be able to say, yes, I see that, I, I understand you, I get you, you're, I see where you're coming from, and I, I, I know what goes on inside of me. So, for example... If I've just done something I used to do, and I tried hard not to do it anymore, but I find that I just did it again in relationship, um, I just got passive-aggressive, for example, um, and I'd been working on that for a while and working on not being passive-aggressive, and I just got passive-aggressive again. Now, I could go off into a corner and beat myself up for that and say, man, that was really stupid, and now now my partner's all mad at me, and now we got this big uproar in the house, and oh my God, how stupid could you be? I can do that. That's definitely one of the options on the table. It's not very effective, but I could do it. And 
But what might work more effectively is for me to go, okay, what is it now? I've stepped back into this mess again. So what did I come here to get? Anytime I step backwards, it's because I left something back there I need. And so I got to go get it. So what is it? What is it that I need when I've just uh, stepped backward into something that I thought I'd learned not to do? What is it? What do I need? And to recognize that uh, there was something that pushed me to be passive aggressive. What was that? Probably a combination of fear that you'd leave if you knew and real hurt feelings about something. So if I look at that and own that, then I'm more likely to be able to go back to my partner and say, okay, here's what was going on inside me. Not as an excuse, not to say, here's an excuse for my behavior. I own the behavior. I did it. But to be able to say, I'm going to be vulnerable to you now instead of trying to hide from you, which is what I was doing when I was passive aggressive. Now I'm going to tell you what was going on inside me. I'm going to say, look, you know, I really got my feelings hurt when you have X, Y, and Z. Um, and um, then we're able to talk about it. And hopefully the partner will be able to respond appropriately and will be able to talk about it. If they don't respond appropriately, that's on them. That's not yours. Um, then you've got some decisions to make about what you're, what you're going to do next. So, so that's the process of being able to let go of somebody else's actions and hold on to our own. But that's not what we've been taught. We've actually been taught just the reverse. We've been taught to hold on to other people's actions and try to manipulate them into doing what we want them to do, while at the same time we're ignoring our own hearts. And that's very ineffective. It just doesn't work. It might have been what we got taught to do, and it might have been uh, even a survival technique in our early upbringing, but now as an adult, it's going to get in the way. It's just going to create more problems. So um, how we do this thing, this negotiation with, uh, with ourselves about our hearts is we give ourselves room to say, well, I can understand why you did that. I see that now. Instead of, you're so stupid, what would you do that for? You know. So getting some understanding of why we do what we do is huge. Very often I have clients come into the office and they'll say, I'll ask them something about, well, do you know what pushed you to do that? And they'll say, I don't know. And, you know, I might ask them how they feel about X, Y, or Z, and they go, I don't know. And I, my my take on that is is, is that... The more often I say I don't know, the, mo- the more I am out of touch with who I actually am. I can't know who I am while simultaneously not know what's going on inside of me. It's not possible. So knowing what's going on inside me is, is the biggest, most important thing of all, is to be able to just go, oh, okay, that's inside me. There it is. I see that. Not to beat ourselves up with it, but to own it. Just own it. Okay, so so we've talked about meditation and we've talked about self-empathy. The next thing is to be able to become the chairman of your committee. So you've got different voices inside of you going on. Um, One of them is saying that you're angry about X, Y, and D, and the other one is saying you feel uh, hurt and vulnerable to somebody, and the other one is saying you're scared to death of being abandoned. And you could choose one of those to obey, and say, okay, now I'm giving up my, I'm, relinqu- I'm relinquishing my capacity as the chairman of the board here on this committee, but and giving it over to one of you guys. Or you could say, okay, I hear each one of your voices. Now I'm going to make a decision about what I do with this. And that is that is where it, it's very, very, very important being able to own our feelings while simultaneously not giving in to them behaviorally until we're clear on what we want to do. 
So authenticity is not made out of just feeling a feeling and acting on it. That's not authentic. Like I said, we need to follow our hearts, but we need to take our brains with us. Um, we, we need to be able to understand that the heart actually is a lonely hunter, and, and, and it has needs that need to be met. At the same time, um, all those different voices are generally not saying the same thing. And so I, I think I have to choose between them. And just like I said a minute ago, we typically think there's one of two options. Either I'm afraid and I operate out of that, or I'm angry and I operate out of that, you know, or I guess I could say, well, I'm also um, feeling very vulnerable and I might operate out of feeling sorry for myself and feeling like a victim. But I could choose one of those things to operate out of, like I said, or I could choose to hear each one of them, let them have their fullest voice, and then make my decision about what I'm going to do with that. That's the much more effective way of doing it. But what does that mean? It means taking the time to really hear what's going on inside of us. But most of us think, we don't have time for that. Man, i got to get to work on time. The clock is ticking, boy. i got to get to work. You don't understand. And then when I get there, i got to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And who has time to go reflect on their belly button, right? No. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being in a process of openness with yourself as you go through your days. So that you're, you're really just kind of letting it gel and you're asking yourself to reveal to you what it is that you need to see. So... Now, that, for a lot of people, that sounds kind of silly to ask yourself something, but very often people have found that that works effectively so that uh, what, what's happening is, for example, I might ask myself to dream about something, and the next day I find that, yes, indeed, I have dreamed about that. Einstein used to ask himself to solve problems before he went to bed at night, and he'd wake up the next morning with a solution to the problem. Um, so, you know, if Einstein... Uh, as our example of extreme intelligence can do that, well, then maybe that's a lesson for all of us. Uh, we can talk to ourselves. We can hear back from ourselves. We can dialogue with various aspects of ourselves, and I encourage it because it can help us get to really comfortable in that inner world where lots of stuff is always going on, but we're very often out of touch with it so that if somebody asks us later, why did we do what we just did? We don't know. We don't know why we did it because we're not paying attention to what's going on in there. Well, It's kind of like having somebody else who doesn't even know how to drive drive your car while you're the passenger. It's kind of like that, yes. They are likely, likely to wreck your car because they don't know how to drive, but you've just handed the wheel to them. That's what it's like to be that out of touch with your own feelings. So uh, you're probably going to crash and burn. So, So what happens then is in this process of, of discovering how to be uh, aware, how to feed the lonely heart, the next step is to actually do the things that are nurturing to your heart. What soothes you? Is it music? Is it time by yourself? Is it time with other people? Is it calling a friend? Is it, is it taking a walk in the woods? Is it going for a swim? What is it? What are the things? Make a list of 10 things that really uh, soothe you when you're troubled. And then make another list of another 10 things that really light your fire. What turns you on in terms of life? And I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about life. What just says, man, I wish I could be doing that all the time. What is it? Or what are the little things along the way that, that, that you like to do? Like, 
When you're driving your car to work, do you want to listen to audio tapes? Do you want to listen to music? Do you want to just look around at nature all around you? Do you want the wind to down so it can blow through your hair? The wind can blow through your hair? Or do you want it up? What, what, ha, what, who are you with regard to these little details of your life? Write those down too. This is how we begin a process of literally coming to know who we are. And as we do that, we can take much more responsibility for our action. Now, we're in the driver's seat, and we know how to drive because we know what our emotions are, and we've heard them, and we've paid enough attention to say, okay, I see that's there. Now, I'm the committee chair person, and I'm going to make a decision about what I'm going to do with all this information. So, okay, so we've said several things. We've said meditate, get, let your emotions come up so you can see them. Have empathy, understand how you got to the places you've gotten to. Stop judging yourself and start empathizing with yourself. We've said uh, to be able to uh, uh, pay more attention to what's going on inside there in terms of what soothes us, what gives us joy. These are the things that bring us to a capacity to feed our own hearts. And we have to remember who the chairperson is. Who is the one who's going to make the final decision about what we're going to actually do? That's how we begin to feed our hearts. So now it's not a lonely, unconscious hunter getting us into all kinds of trouble. Now it is our friend and we are its friend. So that's it for today. We'll be back again next week. Uh, stay here. Come back again for next week's show. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.